Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot CEO. Don't forget to add the two-on-one podcast in the how did you hear about Podgo section of your application. Now get ready for the rest of the episode. Lads, we are back. Yep, still here. Hello. I'm not going anywhere. We're not that late to start. We no. But we're late? I thought we were on time. No, we're not. We're never on time. We're, we're on time. Late. We're always late and it hurts. We're on time. When we're here. All right. Anyway, <laughs> no. All right, lads. Um, we have a lot to talk about. Since our last episode on Wednesday, a ton has happened around the National Hockey League. We're going to cover everything Leafs and Habs, including the Leafs back-to-back games versus the Canucks. Um, the Habs got a big win. Stefan Wade has talked to the media, and you know I have to gush about Cole Caulfield. Um, the Sabres are wide open for business. The Bruins and the Caps are having much watch hockey, uh, and there's a bit more zest off the ice we have to talk about. The Flames fired their coach and brought back a former one, and Jim Benning talked, which is a headline on its own. Before we get there, though, and of course, Brent Seabrook retired, we'll talk about that. Um, we would be terrible if we didn't take some time to acknowledge the passing of Walter Gretzky. First off, of course, we send our deepest condolences and best wishes to the Gretzky family after the passing of, of Walter. Um, apparently they had sort of known for the past few weeks that it was coming and that, you know, they spent a lot of time with him. Gretzky was Wayne himself was talking about it. Guys, I didn't realize maybe it's because we're younger, just how much Walter meant to the world of hockey um, but just the outpour of love that I've seen on Twitter and all that um, shows who uh, Walter Gretzky was as a person and as Canada's hockey dad. You guys have a thought on Walter Gretzky here. Daniel, starting with you. Yeah, um, I admit, yeah, like we're a bit younger, so I didn't really get to see Gretzky play. But I think that knowing Walter, like it was, it was kind of something where it was always synonymous with Wayne Gretzky that not in the fact that like, it's just like the fame aspect of it, but it just, he was always part of like the hockey identity of Canada that, you know, it, it, at a young age, it starts with the commercials. It starts with, you know, those things where y- you see the origins of a young Wayne Gretzky and how he was kind of, you know, mentored by his dad to become the player he was. And the fact that he kind of like Walter stayed with um, hockey well beyond like Wayne's career is like in terms of like the charity games he's played in terms of like the talks he's had and, you know, just the outpouring of what I've heard from everybody that's gone to these events of what kind of man he, he was. And also like the fact that they always like that. I like that story where no matter how big things came, he was always such a humble guy that he stayed in his Bradford home that he was, a very community guy, not just there, but like, it's just like that aspect of that friendship went everywhere with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Daniel said a lot, but th- one of the things that, that I got out of everything that's happened is he's, a, he's very different 
than the typical hockey parent. Like I, I've never played hockey, but I have friends who did. So, so like I, I've been to a, a rink during a 12 year old game, like the whatever age group, like it goes up, even you go all the way to the NHL. Like you look at a lot of hockey parents are very, what's the word? Aggressive, very aggressive. I'll use that word. Um, and, and from all accounts, like from everything I've read, it doesn't seem that Walter Gretzky was that type of guy. He was involved. Clearly he was involved, but I think in a different way than what I believe a lot of people are used to seeing when it comes to a hockey parent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good that the Oilers got a win for him last night. Connor McDavid leading the way in that three points was uh, poetry, really. Um, rest in peace to Walter Gretzky. You will yes. be missed. Um, you know, seriously, um, an icon in hockey and in Canada in, in, in general. It's And this is no insult, but a guy who was just famous for being Wayne's dad, signing at everything and anything at any time. Um, it's the small things. Like, I'll tell you. Yeah, no, no, finish what you're saying. At the age of 20, I think this was, I fangirled the hell out of when I met Carrie Price and yeah. got him to sign a jersey for me. But that means a lot. And you can only think of, as a child, what it's going to be like to meet Walter Gretzky, the dad of Wayne, and he'll take the time to talk to you, to sign something for you. It's the little stuff. And you know what? That's going to mean a hell of a lot. And that's the reason you see so many people showing their support for Walter. It's just it's the genuineness of the guy. Yeah. In, in, uh, in 2008, it must have been I, I must have been going to one of my first hockey games and uh my dad took me to Gretzky's the restaurant and he just happened like not Wayne Walter happened to be there that night and he went to every single table and he talked to every single person. I didn't understand it at the time. I was eight years old. I bare I barely understood what he like I didn't even barely understood what Wayne Gretzky was. Right. But the fact that he went around to every table and he signed something, he went around to every single table. It reminded me of when we went to 31 Thoughts both times, Elliot Freeman came and shook every single person's hand in that room. He didn't have to. And Walter Gretzky didn't have to go around to every single person in the restaurant. From celebrating one person's life, now we'll switch gears to celebrate somebody's career. And that's Brent Seabrook, a crowd. A congratulations goes out to Brent Seabrook on an amazing career. Announces his retirement on Friday. Um, the unsung hero of those three Blackhawk Cup wins. Um, uh, also, you talk about big wins. The Blackhawks came back to win their game against, I think it was Detroit. Um, no, I think it was Tampa Bay. Actually. Tampa, yeah, 4-3. Yeah. Um, I think they ended up winning in the shootout. And then that, like, Kane had a wicked goal. Debrinkat got, I think it was goal 100 of his career. Um, but Brent Seabrook, we all – and I – Everyone thinks about it. When my first shot of Brent Seabrook is in the playoffs, him going over the Jonathan Taves after having a rough stretch, patting him on the head in the box, making sure he was okay. And from that point onwards, Blackhawk could not be beaten. Word on Jonathan Taves. We'll start with Alex and over to you, Taves. Um, who? Brent Seabrook, you mean? Both, didn't I? You know what I mean. Alex, yeah. Said, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think um, what 
in recent years, I think a lot of people remember Brent Seabrook because of that contract, but I think it's important to remember what he was before that contract Mm -hmm. and how important he was to, to the, the Blackhawks dynasty. I think we have to remember like he was an integral part of that team. When we think of the 2010s for the Chicago Blackhawks, it's Taze, it's Kane, it's Keith, it's Seabrook. Like, those are the guys you think of. Daniel, there's also part of that defense is, I think it's over a thousand games played that Keith and Seabrook had together. Yeah. Um, Brent Seabrook is just, I, I don't know. I growing up, he, he, he was like a guy where I wouldn't put him in like my top, top tier list, but he was always a favorite to me that the way he played was the way I kind of viewed him as like, he was always a consistent presence and, Again, you know, I can always refer back to the real juniors. Like, that's how I first knew about Brent Seabrook. And then when he goes to Chicago, it's just, it just, it's weird to, like, it's, it's an amazing thing where the way his game kind of took off, it just always happened at the right moment when that Blackhawks team was all coming together. And that's what I always kind of viewed him as. And especially, like, I loved it when he made it to the uh, 2010 Olympic team for Canada. It's just that, stability he provided that for all the flashiness that you had with the skilled guys for you know like the smooth skating kind of uh player Duncan Keith was Brent Seabrook was always there to kind of provide that stable force for them and I know that you know the injuries did catch up but like for what he was able to do and for the type of player he he is and it just it's a guy that I believe that you need if you want to win and he was someone where, you know, you, you, when you look at that block, Blackhawks dynasty, it's like, yeah, you could say the Taves, the Kane, um, the Keith um, of that, but you don't win without Brent Seabrook. He's almost like Adam Foote. I think if you compare it to the Colorado great days, I think Seabrook is that for the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. Um, just you talk about the steady defenseman. That was Brent Seabrook. One of the best names in hockey, too. We once referred to him as Seabiscuit because he's like a horse. Seabrook. Great hair, too. Top <laughs> change from the days he was in junior to the end of his career. Looked amazing. Absolutely fantastic. Wouldn't be nice if Jonathan Taves was around right now instead of wherever Jonathan Taves is right now, recovering from whatever it is he's recovering from. Because, God, it just needs to be a moment. Um, hopefully when fans are back in the arena that maybe they can have a real ceremony and have those guys together again. Um, right though, this is when we get into the real meat of potatoes. Canada is just a flame right now in terms of hockey news. Jim Benning had a press conference on Friday. It was full of excuses. Um, I've listened to it twice now. So I've wasted about an hour and 15 minutes of my life hearing Jim Benning talk. How about you guys? But listening to it, I just felt... There was just excuses. The lack of practicing. I don't recall Travis Green ever giving that excuse, by the way. I remember him saying that, oh, yeah, this team spent money because the Canucks did not on the offseason because they couldn't. There was the excuse of playing every second night. Now, I do believe the Canucks have played the most games of anyone in the league. But still, everyone is dealing with that right now. There's some news tidbits that we can talk about as we get there, but just – and we're going to get to the quote about the competitiveness in two years in a second here. But just when Benning talks about the start of the season itself, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this because 
it just feels like at this point, I don't know why Jim Benning is getting the okay to talk. And also it feels like he was not prepared to answer any of those questions. You said something very important there. You brought the two things that you listed as excuses. Every other team in this league is dealing with the exact same thing. I get he's played two more. They've played two more games than uh, the second most team, right? They've played 28. I believe Toronto's played 26. But practice is still an issue. Like I training camp, who had training camp? I I don't know. Like he's make the excuse. I mean, Kyle Dubas can come out and say this. Mark Bergevin can come out and say this. If if your team's losing, where where's the accountability here? We talked about accountability with Mike Babcock, Jim Benning, accountability because it's not good enough to say I ran out of time. No, you didn't. You had plenty of time. What's funny is, is um, so they asked him about that in the press conference, obviously. And he's like, oh, you know, it was, it was simplified. And it's like, dude, no, it wasn't. <laughs> he, that's another thing of just not thinking about when he's talking here. Another, and what's interesting about this is, so he, he, he mentioned that they, they want to re-sign Travis Green. Obviously you should want to do that. And he talked about the financial stuff makes it difficult right now, so they're looking towards more the end of the season. And Daniel, don't you just get a little nervous that waiting, running out of time, and you're this incredibly important coach is the one who needs a contract? Meanwhile, who's going to replace him? You maybe think Manny Malotra, oh, wait, he left. (laughs) He went to Toronto. Yeah, um, it was pretty interesting that uh, I think in our preview for this season, I picked Travis Green – for um i picked yeah i picked him for jack adams i believe Mm -hmm. and it's just the way i see the canucks is and i'm this reminds me just of the blackhawks because we were just talking about them but that element of a spark where things just get you know they things start rolling right and then you you work on it and for me when i look back on 2009 that's what i see with chicago where you know you have you have the emerging stars, you have the younger guys, but you don't just leave that there. I know that like eventually cap, the cap stuff eventually caught up to them, but at the same time, you were able to win before that end up ended up happening. Like for every Kane or Taves or Keith or Seabrook you had, you know, you, you also signed a, a Brian Campbell, you signed a Martin Havlat, you also signed like a Marion Hosa, where you bring in these veteran guys that are going to just help uh, establish the core. And I think when I think about a spark, I think about what the Canucks had last year where things were just going really well. They were finding players that really gelled with what the young core was that they were establishing. And I think Jim Benning got complacent because two things, he doesn't know how to deal money properly when it comes to like, you know, managing a team. And second is just, I think he relied too much on being lucky at the draft that I know. Yeah. He got Brock Besser. He got, you know, a Quinn Hughes, he got an Elias Patterson, and he didn't have a top three pick in any of those. And that that's not a that's not an excuse to become complacent with that kind of core. It's it's a reason to keep building around it, but in a smart way. Like when I think back on teams that have won where they had like these acceleration of young talent, you don't bring in, you know, a Jay Beagle, you don't bring in a Louis Erickson, you don't bring in Anton Roussel to 
to surround that type of skill to tra- surround these types of players that you want to keep growing for your franchise. Well, sorry, it's just the one thing about Erickson is too fair. Like, uh, just to get the timelines right, Erickson was brought in before. Like, I know, I know. It's just but Benning's excuse was we still had the Sedins. Hopefully, he could have gelled, and he didn't. <laughs> and the Sedins were didn't. thirty-two at the time, so I don't know what he was thinking. I think Daniel said something important there when he compared the Blackhawks and the Canucks. I think the biggest difference between those two teams are that um, who I don't remember who was running the Blackhawks at the time, if it was Bowman or um, who who his pre- predecessor was. Um, it was Dale Talon, Dale Talon up in 2009, and then Stan Bowman took over 2009-2010. So the difference is, is that, number one, Chicago were – like a sustained good team for a long time. Plus, plus when they need when they made bad decisions, they got out of it and f- somehow fixed it. Right? Uh, up until a certain point. Then they got then then you're right. I mean, Dale Ta- uh, Stan Bowman's made some iffy decisions in recent years, but you ha- maybe you have to give up a table Teravinen, which is an issue, but when you're able to replace that player through drafting, through free agent signings and like doing it properly instead and like actually having a plan instead of having 10 different directions, better management. It wasn't even that with Chicago though. It was, it was, they in their heyday made the tough decisions, not with the young guys. It was with Ladd and it was with Buffalo right. Boland as well. The Canucks, stupid. And then, of course, yeah, as you say, the, the Blackhawks then got in trouble when they then committed to the guys. The moment they started committing their old guy, older guys and then sacrificed the Tavus and the Panarians, that's when everything went south. The Blackhawks, sorry, the Canucks just randomly signed a bunch of older guys who were just, oh, hey, Beagle, you want to cut four years? It just, what are you doing? There was no sort of sense here. Now, you talk about, by the way, lucky in drafting Daniel, and Benning has this sort of idea of patience. He was asked, I don't remember the reporter, so I feel really bad about this, that and this is why nowadays a GM, you should never put a timeline on anything. Benning said when he was hired that there was a five-year plan. They're now in year seven of said plan, and they've won one playoff round? Yeah, they beat the Blues. That was a playoff round. Play-in doesn't count. Okay, let's forget about that. Yeah. They won one round, and it was on the back of Thatcher Demko, which, hey, got them some points in the last few days, but the look at their record overall. We'll talk about those games a little later. So the big quote that Benning said that got a lot of people going was that he sees the Canucks being competitive in two years. Now, if you look at their cap friendly, the reason that is important is in two years, all the bad contracts are gone, actually. I'm going to read you guys an article, a piece of a Thomas Drance article that came after this press conference came out. Because the cap situation for the Canucks in two years, and we're looking basically, this would be the 2022-2023 season, is how Benning would line this up. And this is from Thomas Drance's article in The Athletic. Quote, following the 2022-2023 season, the Canucks will have to dole out another significant raise to another piece in Brock Besser, who was due a $7.5 million qualifying offer just to retain his rights that summer. 
with the Lolongo recapture hit and the Ericsson Russo Beagle contracts now expiring, that shouldn't be too cumbersome. In fact, the club should have real flexibility that offseason, depending on where it lands with Pedersen and Hughes' second deals. That moment in two years will be the time for go to go for it. Doesn't sound too bad, but here's where it gets ugly. That window lasts for only one season before both Horvat who will then be 28, and JT Miller, who will turn 30 during the 2023-2024 season, see their deals expire. Essentially, the Canucks are on pace without significant reorientation to lock themselves into two seasons of pain, including this mercifully shortened season, as they handle a wash of inefficient money during the flat cap era. And in exchange for enduring this, they will just have one kick at the can for the 23-24 season with their current core group. That gives me a headache. That's a lot. Just what, is, about. what is Horvat make now? Like 5.5? Yeah. And That's JT. Deal. And, and JT Miller, 5.25. Mm. By the way, uh, that whole article from Drance is amazing. Everyone should go read it. It's incredible. And then him and Harmon Dial, friend of the show. Uh, did a really, really good piece looking at who is untouchable on the Canucks and, and who is not. It's really funny when you had to throw like Louis Erickson in there because of his contract. You, you know, it's not even just how you're going to pay these players. It's who are you going to fill the rest of your roster with? Like, because, yeah, just on. look at, just look, I, I have, I'm on their cap friendly page. If I'm being honest, the only name that really stands out to me on their reserve list and in the minors is Vasily Podkolzin. Mm-hmm. Like there's a couple guys who I think will be NHL players in my opinion, but where are you good? Like you're going to make more signings because you've been so good at free agency. Exactly. I kind of feel that too. Like with Podkolzin, it's there's that added pressure now. Like I know that Niels Hoglander really kind of you know panned out for them the moment they needed him, but like Paul Colson, I think there's just that added pressure now because he was a top ten pick and the way the team's been, it's just like you know you really got to make sure you hit on that properly. You know, I don't think it's the forwards they're going to be in trouble with though. It's going to be mm-hmm. the defense because who's there? Byers is locked up for a long time. Nate Schmidt, Quinn Hughes. And are those Jordy Ben best defensive? Ben will be gone by then. Yeah, it's just no offense to, to this player, but Oli Levy has not developed, unfortunately, into the defense than we thought. That hurt me. Well, not like hurt, hurt me, but it's just kind of like it was just those guys that you know we 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 become. I think from our Twitch days, remember that? <laughs> um, we I've become, I've become so invested in these like you know reclamation projects that I wanted him to do well. He here's here's where you know you're in a bad situation. When you couldn't move money in the summer to sign Tyler to Foley, and now you're resorting to potentially trading Jake Vertanen, who's only 24. Uh 20, yeah, he's only 24. And I know he's like he's not the top six guy we all thought he was gonna be when when they when they drafted him. I don't know if that's necessary. I mean, he could be. Who knows? But at the moment, it's not looking like that. I think we were on a world junior high at the time. Probably. Yes. But he's still an NHL player, and he's still 24 years old. That's not the guy you're trying to move. That, like, That's when you know you're in a bad situation. Mm -hmm. 
Um, little tidbits, by the way. Um, Benning confirmed, obviously, that they are trying to sign uh, Tanner Pearson. Not a bad player. Uh, and negotiations with Hughes and Pedersen for their second contract will start after the trade deadline. They did. He was asked why not start doing it now. And he basically said, yeah, we live in the day, the day we have had a day. You've, you've, you've all seen that. It's not, it's not as bad as we're a team from Dorian, but it's. Is that not concerning? That they're waiting? Uh, I mean, it, I wouldn't expect Pedersen and Hughes to want to negotiate anyway. Sure. But if if I'm and, and this goes back to what happened with uh, Matthews, what happened with Marner, what happened with McDavid, I'm calling their agent July 1st. And maybe he did. Maybe he did. I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he did. I'm calling the gen the their agent and saying, okay, let's start working on something. Do they Hughes switch agencies or Pedersen? Like they, uh, they they went to the same one or something? I believe it was Pedersen who switched to Hughes' agency. And that, there it is. I think it's Newport. Oh. Daniel. Okay. I'm, I'm going to pause it and hopefully it comes back. We'll be back. Nope. All right. Let me just mute the video again. Okay. Okay. All right. Three, two, one. All right, uh, we're back. One last thing I want to read you guys about betting, and then we can uh, we can get going to uh, the Flames here. Actually, just a quote that I I wrote down here that Benning said. Going back to excuses, quote: When we planned this team out in the summer, we were in the Pacific Division. We we're going to play every team in the league. With the pandemic and border, it turned out we're just playing the Canadian teams. That's the dumbest excuse I've. You got to be ready to play anybody. I, I, I hate it so much. How would this team fare up against Tampa Bay or Boston or Washington? You know what? Worse. Like, people are, are taking, by the way, of trying to say the Canadian team is <clears throat> bad. I think instead of trying to point out the bad teams, you need to point out teams like, I can't even remember what the, is it the Central? Is it the West or the Central that has Colorado and Vegas? You know, I don't, that's, I don't, the, uh, that's the West. The West. You don't measure a division on the bad teams. You measure it on the good ones, all right? And like the Canucks, this record in this division, that is so controversial. I mean, you look at the race to the, to the floor in the Canadian division right now. Imagine if, if McKinnon had his way with this team seven, eight times, ten. It's gonna be, it would be terrible. So they should be like happy they're here, to be honest with you. Um, and then you like, talked about like other teams, young players developing. I'm like, man, Pedersen's only a year younger than Matthew. Stop talking about that. Deal with your own team before you start. Like the, it was the same thing with Eugene and coming after Toronto. Like, buddy, deal with your own team before you start talking crap about others. He was complimenting the Leafs. Oh, okay. Um, and well, by now the way, I'm embarrassed. He did say <laughs> they've been playing better lately. They went into last night's game, which they did win. They were still 4-4-2 in their last 10. And the reason for that, Thatcher Demko has been really, really good. Bubble Demko is back. Staying in the Western Division, though. What? God damn it. The Western Conference. No, it's not even that. It's not even the Western Conference. Staying in the Canadian Division. I hate Mm -hmm. these divisions so much. (laughs) Just remember, like, figure out who was actually in the Pacific slash, what was it, the Central? I I hate these divisions so much. I know I love them, but you know what I mean, like, names. The Flames. I fired their head coach after I think it was a seven, two or seven, three win over the Sens. Jeff Ward is out. Yeah. And they have brought back Daryl Sutter. 
who, of course, was on the team from 02 to 06. And the highlight of that is 04 when they went to the cup final and lost to Tampa Bay. And, of course, Daryl Suter did win two cups with the LA Kings in 2012 and 2014. He is signed for this year and two more afterwards. It's expected his first game behind the bench will be against the Montreal Canadiens this Thursday. At first, I could not stop thinking this is such a weird and dumb hire. But the more I've heard of it, like the more I, I've heard people talk about Suter and what the Flames need. There was a quote from Christopher Stieg. I think it was Friday for the broadcast or Thursday or Friday. It was before the, the Sharks-Vegas game. Versteeg said that Suter will weed out the frauds. And don't the Flames need that more than anything right now? And a coach that will give them an identity. Yes. And another thing here I think we've that might be forgotten is you had to I don't think Brad Treliving had much of a choice in who he could bring in. And I know one, I'll tell you why. Cause one of the discussions has always had when a new coach is hired is, well, why didn't you try somebody new? Brad Treliving is a one more mistake away from being fired. He's fifth head coach, by the way. One more mistake from, and he's gone. He can't bring, he's not going to, he doesn't have the, the um, wiggle room to say, Hey, like, let's try a new coach. Like I I don't before, like it's just, it wasn't happening because again, he's one mistake away from being fired. He's going to bring in someone who knows that he knows is going to at least do a good job. He thinks. For me, I kind of agree with, I think there's two ways to see it. I think the first part is like, I'm going to like agree with Alex that there has to be that type of consistency that you get with Daryl Sutter. And he is a no nonsense guy. When you look back on the teams that when he was also the GM of the flames of what he was able to build, um, it's, it's these, it's these teams that they played a certain style that, he got what he wanted out of these players. And, you know, he really did, you know, make Jerome McGinley's career into like the player we, we remember him as. But the one thing I just, I have a bit of, I guess, skepticism about is that it's been a while since he's coached. Yeah. And it's more of his style where I look back on those Kings teams that won and they were very heavy, heavy teams where they were the defensive teams where I think um, it was Lucas Weiss or Will Baldwin. They were mentioning about the last time Daryl Sutter was a flames coach. And I know it was a different era, but you look at that 05, 06 team. That was a heavy team. You had like a Robin Regeer, you had Jerome McGinley, you had like Darren McCarty. And then when you look at those cup winning teams for the Kings, you had the Dustin Brown, you had the, um, you had yeah, it's ironic. You had Robin Regeer, you had the uh, Dustin Penner, you had these types of like you know that that gritty team that is held accountable to the way they play. But it's just we saw the signs of it past the cup years as the game got faster. That this team got really slow. But Daniel, you remember who was the coach? So where was his next head head coaching job after the Flames? Was that? Wait for Daryl Sutter. Yeah, wasn't that LA? It was LA. Yeah. So from 06 to like 2011, 
So it's not the first time he's been out for a while. Mm-hmm. And do you know what? If there's a player he can work with to sort of bring the heavy style as well as sort of the new school, like you still need some speed and movement, like Kachuk's a perfect player. Mm. Perfect player. And say what you want about Lucic. He's not been terrible. This it's year. something out of him. Was he the coach when they had him on the Kings? I'm looking back on like all these connections now. I think he, he was because yeah. uh, Bieksa had hopped on to the media call and had asked him about it. Um, and he joked, like, he had six hits tonight. You're going to need double that for a suitor. Not to mention, he's a great coach. He's a, a quote, great quote. I love Daryl Suter. He's the guy that, like, reminded me. Remember, like, uh, he, he was the guy who said the, the, the regular season doesn't mean a damn thing to me. Yes. Because, again, for good teams, the regular season doesn't mean anything. It, it's nothing. And I just, I love that. And he also said it's unfinished business for him. Uh, with the flames, he won the cup as an eighth place team. He did, man. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I mean, to be fair, they weren't that bad because they got Carter in the trade deadline. It was like, hey, what's up? We're good now. And, you know, also, yeah, that's a heavy guy too. I mean, like not a heavy, heavy, right? You know what I'm, I'm talking about? Like he plays a, he plays a checking game. Oh yeah, that's part of why he's like bad now. His body just fell apart. Also had Muzzin on that team too, right? It's mm-hmm. Big boys. That's, that was Western Conference hockey, man. That was uh, when I know that we were all kind of sad Broder didn't win in 2012. Like, I remember looking back on those days. We, we were discussing it at the time, but, um, you know, we're looking back. There was a good, good, good Kings team. I'll tell you what's not good. Um, we, we'll, before we get to the Bruins and Caps, I just want to mention because uh, I looked at my TV and I saw this stat. It's combined goals between Eichel, Hall, and Skinner because this is the first time they've been on the same team. But 17 18, the three of them had 88 goals. 1819-79. Last season, 66. Well, you know. Shortened season. Yeah, that hall wasn't, you know, he got traded to Arizona and the ice there is terrible, so he can't score. That's what my theory is anyway. So far this year, four. Between those three players. I thought it was I thought you were gonna say ten, and I was gonna say that's bad, but four. Four. What's that? Who who is scoring on that team? Like I didn't look at their stat. Like who's actually Reinhardt, Alovzin, and like Curtis Lazar. Exactly. Remember Curtis Lazar? The guy who Will, ate a burger? Little junior captain. Yeah, man. Weird guy. I think he was in the Flames for a bit, too. Yeah, he was traded for, um, I think it was the pick that became uh, Alex Formington. Really? Yeah. That's a good pick. Um, though, on headlines last night, it was reco- um, reported by the Freeds, the Fridge, as we call them. Um, that the Sabres are apparently wide open for business as the trade deadline approaches. I wonder, is this finally the year Rasmus or Stalinen finally gets out of Buffalo? I'm going to laugh if like a bunch of guys are traded and he's still there. <laughs> like if like I'm going to laugh if Jack Eichel gets traded before Rasmus Ristolainen. I was about to ask, who goes first, Eichel, Eichel or Ristolainen? <laughs> now, Kevin Adams has said, actually, since our last show, that Hall has not – not Hall, sorry, that Skinner – God, no, Eichel has not asked for a trade. You know what, you know what it reminds me of? <laughs> what? The last dad's like, there's no backstabbing going on here. Like, you don't have to say it if it's not happening. Oh, it's definitely – like, listen – Patrick Laine never requested a trade, but it was yeah. understood. It was understood. Yeah. Question. <clears throat> what assets are you trading that will get you 
assets, legitimate assets in return on this team. So let's get up cap friendly, and I can only think of Rasmus just the line in so far. I, I mean, there's a couple options. Um, you're not trading Deline. Nope. I think he's an idiot to trade Reinhardt because he's one of your good players. Him and Alavzen. I mean, you're not going to trade. Well, he's hurt, but you wouldn't trade Olmark. I mean, is what is Colin Miller's value right now? Brand, uh, apparently, Brandon. I heard a couple weeks ago. I think they were saying Brandon Montour was available. It hasn't worked out for him there. He he needs to find a new place. Riley Sheehan and Toby Reader. But What's you don't have a lot right now. Taylor Hall has a no move clause. Can we remember that, by the way? So he chooses where he goes. <laughs> How the hell did he get that? What are they I doing? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if I feel bad for Kevin Adams or if like I shouldn't feel bad for Kevin Adams. Because this isn't all his fault. No. No, no, it no. really isn't. Like, I think he made a good move in bringing in Eric Stahl. I think everyone was very surprised by that. That's an asset, too. You know, it reminds me of, and like, this is just, you know, beyond ridiculous. But you know, when you build a house on a foundation, it's like, it's like they got solid pieces, but they put on like an inflate in an inflatable castle. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like what, what, like there is there, you know, there is the key pieces there, but it's just something where it's just, it's, it's shaky. It's not, it's not something that is going to stand the test of time. It's just, you just keep adding to something that's not, but like, you know, this, this example I gave about the flames where I know Brad Trivling, you know, he's on the hot seat and he can't really tinker with that core right now. Um, But it's like with the Sabres, it's like what was the core outside of Jack Eichel, but you still kept adding regardless. Everything's gone wrong. It's seriously, every part of that organization is a mess right now. You need O'Reilly. Like just, I was telling, like, talking to Alex, I think we were texting. I'm like, they need Lamorello in there. Like that's the kind of guy you need. Cause it's just, there is something down to the attitude of that room that has just been so toxic there. And that, yeah. So clearly wrong. That's why I don't under, I didn't, I still don't. And, and this isn't against Kevin Adams, the general manager and the job he's done so far. <clears throat> I think they just needed a stronger presence. They need a new coach as well. There's a lot of things this team needs. <laughs> uh, the Sabres, they're bad. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you what's not bad, though. The Caps and the Bruins are having <laughs> the, some sort of games right now. There was the first in their series. What, I think it was actually the same night that Char's first game in Boston, uh, which was still so weird to see. Um, or Trent Frederick, who everyone is laughing at, but I want to talk about him a little later because I like that player, was going after Ovechkin all night. And there was this funny clip of how he tries to challenge Ovechkin. And I don't even know Ovechkin even changes his body language. He's like, I'm Alexander Ovechkin. And he must have been pestering him the whole night. Because at one point, they're like right outside the benches or something. And, and Frederick is still like going like, oh, God, I'm, you know, I'm Trent Frederick. Let's go, Alexander Ovechkin. And Ovi just 
just spears him like right in the gonads. It is, he only got five, $5,000, which I think somebody did the comparison that if you make like 50K, it's like $50. I think that may be American, but and anyway, like, like getting hit in the family jewels is not fun. We all know that. No, it's it not. was horrible. It should have been a suspension. But it was just in that moment, it's like, what the, like, it was just like, it was so conscious too. It was like, like, I'm surprised it wasn't Brad Marchand. It I keep thinking like, of the TV show Gene Simmons Family Jewels now. I God damn it, Daniel. <laughs> it was just like, and then like, it wasn't even just that in this series because then it got serious. So Jacob Randa comes into the, the zone. I think this was not yesterday, but the day before, right? Randa chips in the puck. And, you know, he's going against Brendan Carlo. Carlo, you know, tries to get body position, puts the stick up, tries to get the puck, right? Um, Tom Wilson comes in for support, naturally. And in the position, basically, Carlo cannot see Tom Wilson coming. And Wilson boards him, gets him in the head. Carlo went to the hospital. Um, He's apparently okay now. He's been released, but he'll be out a while from Bruce Cassidy, by the way. Wilson ended up getting seven games for this. He had an in-person via Zoom hearing. Now, I have the player safety video up here, and I just want to play um, a few seconds of it. Um, here, is screen sharing up? It is. Should okay, be. Perfect. Um, I'm only going to play a few seconds here, and this is actually very important. Um, okay. and you'll hear why right now. It is important to note that we agree with the Capitals' argument that at this point in the play, Wilson could deliver a hit on Carlo that does not result in supplemental discipline. We acknowledge their assertion that it is common for NHL players to legally deliver hits on unsuspecting or vulnerable opponents. While there are aspects of this hit that may skirt the line between suspendable and not suspendable, it is the totality of the circumstances that cause this play to merit supplemental discipline. What separates this hit from others is the direct and significant contact to a defenseless player's face and head, causing a violent impact with the glass. This is a player with a substantial disciplinary record, taking advantage of an opponent who is in a defenseless position and doing so with significant force. To summarize, this is boarding. Carlo suffered an injury on the play. Wilson has been suspended four times and fined twice during his 543 game NHL career. All right. So reason that I bring that video up is if you see the angle that Wilson comes in on, um, Carlo is bent over. So he can't deliver a clean hit if he goes for the body, but he, he goes to the, the sort of hunched over part of Brandon Carlo. And again, this suspension was not for a hit to the head because the claim was that it was not direct head contact. And we have gone over that plenty of times on this show. Um, and salary wise, he's not a repeat offender. So he actually would have lost and he was double the amount. But as explained in the video, Brandon, sorry, um, Wilson is technically on ice for suspension purposes, still a repeat offender. I think there is some confusion about that. When Cat Friendly tweeted it out, I think a lot of people took it as, oh God, he's safe. But again, they're cap wise. Seven games. um, I'm not going to lie. 
as somebody who has seen players of the team he cheers for three different times, there's been contact that had from pits that have had no consequences. I am perfectly fine with the suspension of Tom Wilson for this amount of games. And it, but it is a shame that it took the injury for, if, if Carlo doesn't get hurt, I don't know if this is a suspension. Um, Alex, I know that if you've listened to the show and hear about players, I, I have zero faith in and trust in the Department of Player Safety. That should have been double digits. I don't care if it's a 56 game season. It should be double digits if it was, or if it wasn't. Like, I don't care about the length. Like, watch him. First off, I don't care if he's injured or not. That was a dirty hit. It's irrelevant. That's an irrelevant argument. I don't know why why that's still being used as an argument for a suspension. It doesn't make any sense to me. He went in. Pardon? He went into him, and he went left. Watch how he hits. He goes in, and his body shifts left. No reason he had to do that. So, sure, don't call it a hit to the head. I guess like I, I don't know. I don't know anymore. It doesn't feel like the department of player safety. It feels like the department of I'm just watching hockey. I have no trust in George Peros. The guy beat the crap out of people for a living. Get someone who actually knows what they're doing. I'm going to disagree with you here. Actually. Um, I think because again, player safety, they're not perfect, obviously. Um, and sir, after this, go ahead, Daniel. Um, for the standard, and again, I'm not, I, I'm not, def- I hate defending them, but the standards and precedent we have with boarding, I think the highest one we've ever seen was 18. I think it was from, I can't remember who it was. I had the Friedman tweet, but I deleted it. Um, the standard of what we have for boarding, I think, yeah. was fair. And the injury part is unfortunately just how they go. Um, listen, what we've seen for player safety this season yeah it's been completely inconsistent but i i really think they actually got it right here but but adam you're 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 taking it for face value that you're giving a guy a a suspension but he's a repeat offender they said it this is his fourth time being suspended it's not the first time it's been a hit like this you know what i mean but i think that what they're looking at it is it wasn't like sunquist it wasn't the and that that was for those of you who don't know that was his big suspense that was the 20 gamer that got reduced to 14 yeah um but sorry before we keep going here dan your thoughts on the suspension is it the right length all that kind of stuff yeah uh first thing um i found the uh free uh Elliot freeman tweet um so this is the second highest the f- highest is eight games for zach ronaldo in 2015 okay um Ronaldo. Okay. So yeah. Um yeah, that guy was a dirty player too. I remember his hit on Zabinik Mohalik in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, it, it it is something that like it's again like what we talked about with the Tyler Myers thing. Like, you know, Tom Wilson is clearly using his size in this hit, and I don't like that whole thing where he does go to the left side of things because you know, you're digging for the puck. Um it, it is just something where I, I it's just an it's it's it, it's an expected thing from a player like this and I, I don't like how you know they they, they, they classify it as like a boarding thing where it just so happened to hit the head and in terms of like the seven games like I'm okay with that but I, I kinda agree that you know in terms of 
what it should have been, what he's been able to, what he's done in the past. Like, it's just something where we just don't know because it's a shortened season. But I, I don't know what George Paris's reasoning is for it when it comes to kind of looking for that balance of things. Because, like, I don't know why there is a bit of, like, treading water in a way. And that's why I kind of see it, where if you really want to root these types of hits out of the game, it's just, like, call it for what it was, not from, like, an attempt of what it tried to be. It is, I think, this is, is, I think there's been a very big issue with the hit to the head rule is um, that the fault of player safety is that they haven't previously, like this regime have not dared to try something with setting the precedent for even just a simple one game suspension for contact to the head. Um, This is the first time it's felt like they actually have, or for me at least, that they've, they've gone in there and actually looked and tried to set something here um, because there have been so many like instances this year where there should have been hits, but they like there wasn't, there was just a fine or something. Right. It's just, I, a lot of this is the parameters in which the player safety board have, I say board have to sort of work with it. Like there is a much bigger issue in player safety that yes, again, Peros, they need to be able to take the risk, even if it comes down to an appeal, you're, you need to take that first step. At the same time, though, the NHL itself seriously, seriously need to get a sort of fixture on this hit to the head rule. Because in reality, it should have been the suspension for the hit to the head. And under those guidelines, I think he's getting a lot more games. It's just the whole framework we're working in here for player safety is just broken in and of itself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. The, another thing here is let's remember there being there there's a lawsuit going on. This yeah. this it's we're gonna be they're gonna be dumping millions of dollars. And if they don't want to fix it, there's going to be the next generation of players and the next generation of players. And this is going to go past us. This is going to go past Gary Bettman. And it's just going to keep going and going and going until someone wants to deal with the reality that you are wasting millions of dollars fighting this lawsuit. You can stop it right now and say that we are putting a rule in place. We are setting a rule in place. And then what? Then what? What's the player going to say when they when they have concussions and then they don't get? There's nothing. There's no penalty to anybody. If there's a penalty, there we go. We're trying to root it out of the game. You want to talk inconsistencies, by the way? Armia on that Myers hit got a concussion. What did our uh, What did Myers get for that? Nothing. Um, you guys, I don't want to add anything more to this before we move on. No, nothing for me. It just hurts that Tom Wilson's from Toronto. Sure. Um, Some positive from this, by the way. The Boston Bruins, um, a lot of talk that I've noticed in the media, and it kind of goes back to the suitor being brought in, is talking about the Kings played for each other. The Bruins play for each other. And when a team does that, I'm not surprised now how losing Krug and and Chara didn't affect this team. Because... The culture they have, and it's it's a word that's leadership and culture are words that are thrown around way too much in, in hockey, like how in real life literally is used way too much. Um, the performance they gave, so later on in, in the game, Jared Tenardi, former Hab, claimed by the Bruins off waivers from Nashville, uh, stepped up and fought Tom Wilson. 
And so I, I, I did, because originally we thought there was a goal where Bergeron came on and tapped on the glass, right? Yeah. He tapped Tenardi to kind of say, boy. he didn't go. Uh, I was going to say that seemed a bit uncharacteristic of Bergeron to go after another player. But so by the time Tom Wilson got out of the box from that fight, the Bruins had scored three goals. They came together and it was incredible to watch. Um, and Trent Frederick, a lot of people are laughing at that guy because of Ovechkin. Um, that is the epitome of a Boston Bruin right there. Um, that is why the Bruins are a model organization and their locker room is also the cream of the crop in the NHL. I've gotten a lot of respect for that team today. You, you make a good point there. Um, what they've built isn't a one or two year thing. This is something that's been developed like how long has Boston been good? It's 2010, 2009. 11 years. And on the ice, they've been good. <clears throat> so, and off the ice, they've built a, a, a strong locker room presence. And that's, that's been with Chara. That's been with Bergeron. That's been with all these guys who are still there. And and the fact that, and you make a good point, the fact that Chara and even Krug are gone and that locker room is still the same way it is, is a huge testament to the guys, to Marshawn, to Bergeron, to Pasternak, to David Krejci, to every single guy who is still there, who is a leader. Because there's no one, yes, Chara was the captain and he was the top guy, but every Bergeron, Marshawn, these guys were still leaders in that locker room. Yeah. And I agree. I think, um, I think Steve Dangle made a joke about this where it's just like, even down to the broadcasters, yeah. it's just pure Boston Bruins. And when I even look at the other moves they've done in the past, where I've talked about Nick Ritchie, you know, rediscovering his game there. When I think about getting Charlie Coyle for Ryan Donato, which looked like a steal for Minnesota at the time. It hasn't really, it wasn't like that. Didn't pan out like that as we saw, but just getting these guys that just fit that DNA in that team and they've been able to roll with it where not necessarily they are the top guys, but they're just someone that keep contributing. And when you say Jared Tenardi, where he is someone that just comes in and it's just like he's, he's bought into the system. He's bought into this is what's expected of you if you want to play for Boston. Yeah. I hate that they're so good. I really do. God damn it. Yeah. Right. Um, one last little bit of headlines we're going to talk about, and then we'll get into the Leafs and the Habs, uh, also from the Sportsnet boys. This, we are waiting for this to happen. Um, apparently, U.S.-based players are starting to get the vaccine uh, for COVID, obviously. I am getting so sick of watching all these American teams starting to get fans in the arena. I'm getting sick and tired of seeing a country that did not take this this pandemic seriously are getting all the vaccines and in Canada, I don't think I'm getting this vaccine this year. I don't think it's going to happen. Like I'm going to turn 22 in October and I'm not going to get vaccinated. I'm, I'm getting that feeling. I am. It, it freaking sucks. Like it's, it's, and also like, and if you listen back to around the bubble and I was so against everything, God, does this suck for the everyday person that NHL players, and I love it, love the game, but NHL players are getting vaccines before anyone else. 
Like it's it's a weird feeling. Um, one, one more thing, Daniel. Yeah, sorry. The Devils, who entire team got it, now have fans in the arena. What the hell? Okay, now sorry, go on, Daniel. I'm, I'm oh yeah, sorry. No, it's good. Actually, you put that because I'm gonna build upon that. Um, for um, you know, shout out to the other staff writers of the Minnesota Wild for the hockey writers that uh, in our uh, we've been discussing it and like they're people that two things they've all somehow bought Kirill Kaprasov jerseys already. That's crazy. But um, also um, for the ones that are in Minnesota, like they already are making plans where they could go and watch a game. They can go and travel. One 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 guy, shout out Aaron Heckman, talked about he's going to Arizona to watch them on the on the road. So yeah, it's crazy where I'm, I'm not sure the extent of how these things are going to go, but yeah, it, I, I think it does tug at you because like it's another element of this whole COVID-19 thing where it's just we, we have that projection of the end in sight, but we don't really know the end in sight, especially from us in Canada. And again, you know, it's hockey. We, we understand what we have to do when it comes to like the game, but yeah, it, it really does like in a weird way filter into your everyday life. It's like, you wonder, it's like, Am I gonna? Am I gonna? I'm gonna understand how my life was in the before times again. Yeah, nearly a year coming up. Alex, you got a thought on this? Yeah, uh, we're patting ourselves in this province for vaccinating thirty thousand people a day. I'm sorry, that's just embarrassing. It, it's just my opinion. Like, I, it doesn't matter. Like, there, and, and I get different sizes, whatever. But the U.S. is doing like two million vaccinations a day. They can do this entire country in less than a month if they wanted to. I think the the region I grew up in of Caledon, I think, has twenty thousand people. I was surrounded where I lived by farms. Okay. Yeah. I'm from like the backwaters of Canada. Well, no, I'm not like from like up north. Does this includes Orangeville as well. Um, no, I think that's it, it's it's like another region, Orange. It's kind of I think it's like I can't remember okay. what exactly it is, but Orange is kind of. Oh, no, I mean like in the, in the Adam story, like so you Caledon and Orangeville. Yeah, but like the thing of Orange is it's because that was the closest where a grocery store was to where I live. Oh, okay, okay. It was nope. you know, down the highway fifteen minutes to go into town. Yeah. <laughs> no one's even sure how to get this done, how to get the where to get. They're signed up for this or or whatever. We're we're uh, we're apparently eight days away from having the full Ontario website up. So uh, clearly, this is going well. Yeah. Step by step, yeah. we're know. taking it day by day, as Jim Benning yes, would say. Yes, I don't know. <laughs> I think we found the uh, the title of this episode. <laughs> I, I thought the exact same thing. Okay, uh, we'll talk about the Leafs to start here. Uh, back-to-back losses against the Canucks. Uh, oh, my God. Think- Why Chris Johnson? How can you do this? Oh, God, yeah. It's all that's, CJ's fault. That's bad. That's really, really bad. Anyway, yeah, because he joked about the Habs being juggernauts and their slump happened. Joked about the Leafs. Now they've lost. This is the first time they've lost back-to-back regulation games this year? Yes. Yep. That's like his word but, of the uh, year, juggernauts. Apparently, we have to tear everything down, trade Matthews, Nylander, and Marner, and uh, start the rebuild over again. Mm-hmm. I saw those tweets, and I'm like, shut up. What like, do you mean? We were talking to someone last night who who was talking about it. No comment. Yeah, <laughs> um, 
No, I mean, if we're going to start here, I mean, I, before getting to this, we should mention that, yeah, McDavid blew up last night, but in three games, him and Drysaddle were held to a single point against the Leafs. It does get a little frustrating that you see that. I think Daniel was talking about it, yeah, that they put that performance in against probably the, the dynamic duo of the NHL. The and reigning then, MVP and the yeah. guy who's the MVP. <laughs> you know, one of the guys who scored 50 goals over the past couple of years in Leon. I hate to disrespect him. He's really, really good. He is good, yeah. And then they go against the Canucks. And yeah, they got goalied. No, they didn't look good. They did not. Lie. No. I, go ahead. I was going to say, last night, they, they really didn't look good. Like, I think the first game of against the Canucks, I think there was an argument definitely to be made that Thatcher Demko won the Canucks that game. But last night, it just didn't feel like they were in it at all. I did not. Obviously, I'm watching more Leafs games because I get to see the watch parties of you and Mike. Uh, I didn't get to watch last night's game because Montreal were playing at the same time. Fucking big win. You didn't I miss hope. much. I think I <laughs> don't know how much you might pick that up. Um, I'll tell you. I'm Sam. <laughs> um, God, yeah, but yeah, tell tell us a bit more about the game because it was hard to get real analysis because the third person on our call that night, which was not Daniel, by the way, <laughs> he's too good for those calls. Trust me, you don't want to be there. Yeah, no. Um, the feedback I was getting from the other person in that call was just a lot of negativity. And I did not <laughs> actually know what was happening in that game. And I was, listen, Montreal winning 7-1. I wasn't going to go to the Leafs game again. No, no, no. What was happening last night? I, I think it's a combination of, of a couple things. I think they could be tired. Um, I mean, they've played. It feels like they've played quite a bit. Um, playing every other night and only playing Canadian teams and not practicing a lot. Pr- <laughs> yeah, but I think, but I think they're tired. I think that's an excuse for a bad two games, not a full season. There's a different. There, there's a difference here. I, I think there's a huge difference. Um, also coming off a back to back, that that's that I think is something as well. But I, it just I don't know what what word to use. It wasn't that they were uninterested. I think they were giving efforts at some point. It just looked like it. Nothing was there. Like some it, Matthews felt like he was falling down every shift. Mike wasn't actually lying about that. Um, there was just plays that were like why like. And and listen, every I'm not gonna say every team, every every guy needs to be traded, blah, 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 this and that. I think the thing here is teams have bad games. Like this is an actual like team has a bad game. When we were talking about with Ottawa, I, when they blew the five one lead, like that was just horrendous. Like that, that's like I don't even know what that was. Like that was that might have been that was probably complacency. I think here. It was more of like, you know what? They got goalied, which was true. Like Thatcher Demko was an absolute beast last night. But the guys, like there were chances that they should have had. Like this, like you should have had that. And listen, that happens every once in a while. I'm not going to crap on the crap on the team and say, yeah, the rest of the season's a, a joke. You know, we're never going to win anything again. We might as well trade. Like, you, like it doesn't make sense for me to do that. I think there's too many people who already do that already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that there's two things that I saw there that, you know, maybe there was a bit of fatigue that I, I kind of saw too with the skating, but also it's just 
it's just this kind of thing where it's like, you know, when you get yourself into a hole where like you go into a team against Vancouver, I know that, you know, any pro player doesn't, doesn't think that like, Oh, we're not going to take them seriously. But I think like, once you get into a bit of a hole, you kind of just realize, all right, like maybe it's like a mental game in a way where it's like, you don't think about, all right, like how are we going to like, you know, get back on the score sheets? Like how are we just going to dig ourselves out of this hole? And as it just kept on going throughout the game, it's just like, there wasn't that oomph to kind of get them out of that hole. And eventually it just led to the, the, like the, the end score. And it's, it's not a thing where again, you know, it's, it's all fun and games to look on Twitter on Saturday and go like, Oh yeah, look how this is going. You know, this is, this is horrible. Like let's look at the same habits that the Leafs want, like always had a kind of thing, but it's just like, it's just magnified because it's just, it is the Leafs. So we shouldn't trade William Nylander for a delay of game penalty is what you're saying. No. That's a damn shame. Ben I mean, would be the perfect, perfect trade partner. Listen, let me look at other markets. And uh, like, I'll use the Ducks for an example right now where, you know, shout out to them. They just they just ended a nine-game losing streak. But they should be kicked out the league for beating the Avalanche with those jerseys. You look, you look at those articles where – I don't know. Like people are still hesitant to say, like I don't know if we should trade Josh Manson at this point. Like it's just that balance between like what you look at with the Leafs and you will look at like mid-sized markets. It's just it's just so magnified. Yeah. Anything else you guys want to add here? Um, I don't think so. The Leafs will be okay. Yeah, like I think I think they're playing Winnipeg. I think their next three games are actually against Winnipeg. So. Again, this is it's going to be an interesting matchup because I think they've only actually played once against each other this year. Um, and yeah, and I mean, this time I think last time they didn't have Pierre Luc Dubois, this time they do, so that will be interesting to see how that changes the dynamic. Quick question for Alex, quick answer for Daniel, okay. Is Pierre Luc Dubois versus Austin Matthews a thing now? No, no, not like I mean it can be if we want it. I guess we can make it. I just don't think. I think we're trying to create something that's not necessarily there. I think there was more of something there with Line A versus Matthews because mm. it was one and two, and there were people. I don't. There, I remember at some point there was people saying Line A over Matthews. I just mean there still like. are. I mean there still are, but um, I don't know. I don't necessarily think there's something there okay i guarantee you there will be it's gonna be shifley versus Tavares, and it's gonna be dubois yeah. trying to shut down austin it's gonna because you know why there is it's you're gonna go back to the playoffs last year yeah yeah, yeah. Like, i know hot take is it matthews versus the brinkett from that draft now okay um <laughs> no um you know what, though? You know the Jets are going to be coming out strong because they got humiliated last night. Yeah. Seven to one. It was it six to one? There were just so many goals. I can't even remember. Um, Y'all are Mia's revenge. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was pretty <laughs> ugly. Dude. You know, it was. Anyway, a massive win for the Habs last night. They they freaking needed it. They they did. They just needed a clean win. I just want to double check this. It was seven to one. Good. Uh, leading the way as always was Brendan Gallagher for a pair of goals. Leave it to Brendan, Mister Reliable. Um, it was really funny. Nathan Bowley was like a minus four. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, though there was one thing I do want to mention about the game last night, and that's early in the first period. The Habs had a power play. They didn't convert on it, but uh, Michelle Terrien has a very. Uh, it's a famous quote. 
I can't believe I'm quoting Michelle Terry in here, but um, <laughs> if you don't score on the power play, it should at least provide momentum. And if Alex Burroughs has brought anything to Montreal, guys, it's that um, the special teams are starting to get to a point that, well, this is good. Uh, Montreal aren't scoring on the power play for this occasion, but you know what? It hasn't slowed them down. When in the past, they haven't done it, and it's just completely screwed their momentum at 5-on-5, five five, where we know the Montreal Canadiens are a scoring team. This was like a jolt, I think, of offense that they need. That it just kind of, I don't know. Um, I think, and I'm not comparing it too much, but I remember Ryan Kessler talked about like John Tortorella, where he came into that Vancouver um, locker room, and it's just like it's just the kind of a jolt we needed. I know that like there was criticism with Tortorella there, but it's just kind of like there was something in the change in the fact that, Hey, listen, what you were doing before was not working. So let's start a new plan. I remember Ryan, I, I love the line where Ryan Kessler's like, he gave us a speech like that, that made me want to run through a wall. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Montreal needs right now, where they just kind of had to get out of that, you know, that funk of we're not winning. We're not playing our best. And they just needed a game like this to dominate. Yeah. Sorry, Sorry, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, like you, you said, you said it a couple episodes ago when uh, the Julian firing happened. He had lost the room. They needed someone to come in and reclaim the room. And Adam's falling down. <laughs> I you agree. Bro- you broke I the chair again. No, I didn't break the. The chair is broken, and I have oh. bags stacked on top of each other. Oh. The time to say to check out the YouTube channel. There we go. Um, I'm gonna finish the episode. Okay. Yeah, I think I think they needed someone to reclaim the room, and I don't necessarily think that's that's the easiest of jobs. Um, But I think that he might have done it by what you have been saying, and I mean, just even watching their last few games, the way they've played, their body language. Yeah. Um, also, a, a big story was Carey Price. He's been good. Uh, his first game since his goalie coach was fired. And Stefan Wade actually spoke to the media. Um, a very telling article. Um, three takeaways I really had from it. And um, I did read most of it in French because it was a French article. And obviously, there are some stuff that you don't, don't have to brag. Because it was, I'll tell you what really makes me mad. And I love the Steve Dangle podcast, but Adam Wilde said, Basically, so yeah, there was totally a fight between Price and, and Wade. And I said in my video, if there was a fight between Carey Price and Stefan Wade, I guarantee you we would know. And what does Stefan Wade do? Comes out and says, there was nothing wrong. He came to my house to see me. There was no fight. He had a good relationship with Carey, Allen, and Lindgren. There was nothing wrong. Like, absolutely nothing. Apparently, when Bergevin said, yeah, you're gone, he said, are you, are you serious? Um... The timing still makes no sense, by the way, because apparently in that stretch of practicing, they already saw progress with Carey and they were getting him to play much deeper in his net, which you can notice, by the way. He's kind of like Lundqvist in his later years was a lot like that, like a goalie very much deep in his net, right? The thing I want to ask you guys about, though, a quote that uh, if it, it's a little confusing if you read it, um, but I, I did double check with my knowledge and I did some research exactly with French verbs because they can be kind of weird. 
Apparently, Waite told, sorry, Bergevin told Waite, and then Waite told the media, obviously, here, that Bergevin said that he's probably next if Price doesn't pick up his play. Now, obviously, since then, Carey's been good, but it's very, and I don't think Mark Bergevin's going to be very happy that Stefan Waite said this, but it it definitely goes on the claim that Stefan Waite was Mark Bergevin's last bullet. He's got nothing left. Nothing left. I mean, he's not, he's not wrong. Um, <clears throat> Mark, I think Mark Bergevin knows. I don't think he's a, I don't think he's cr- a crazy guy. I think he's, he's, he knows he, he's on the last run. If uh, Dominic Ducharme does not work out. Mm-hmm. I guess to bring this back into what we said early in the episode, who's on the, who's more on the hot seat, Brett Treveling or Mark Bergevin? They're both. If if both teams miss, then they're both gone. Yeah. Again, Bergevin's only on his third coach. How is Trill living on his fifth? Over the Bill Peter uh, situation. Yeah, um, but like the the Gullitson, something was so wrong with Glenn Gullitson. Did he start with Glenn Gullitson, or did he hire Glenn Gullitson? Was Glenn Gullitson the the replacement? Who? It was Bob Hartley, right? Yes, oh. Bob Hartley. Oh, remember that. Oh, my. The guy who started the line brawl and got fined for it. Imagine being the guy who gets the, the most punishment in a John Tortorella situation. I'm pretty sure he was the last Atlanta Thrashers head coach, too. Really? Yeah. Now he's in Russia. But I yeah, think they're, they're both he, bad. He started, with, um, he started with Bob Hartley. Uh-huh. Fired him in 2016. Had Glenn Gullitson for two years. Yeah. I guess fired him. Uh-huh. Um, had Bill Peters for a year and a bit. Yeah. And Jeff Ward. And- fired him. Jeff Ward. Fired him. And we hired Daryl. <laughs> and now we're at Daryl. <laughs> I don't know, man. And finally, last note of the show I wanted to mention here. Um the Big Ten champions, Wisconsin. Now, of course, we still have like the big, like all the big tournaments in the NCAA. So, um, but Cole Caulfield leading the NCAA scoring in forty, sorry, in uh, twenty, in twenty-eight games played, forty-six points, twenty-five goals. It's pretty good. Is he going to finish his degree? No. No. He's Maybe during the summer. He's maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe, but he's definitely coming to Montreal. Whenever Wisconsin are done, he's definitely uh, he, he's one. He's he's definitely winning the Hobie Baker. Won't win the fan one because fans are bitter and got this random guy who's playing well in the you know military college system. But at the same time, he's twenty three, and Caulfield is doing this at twenty. You know, twenty year olds who have won the Hobie Baker. I believe Kale McCarr. Yep. Paul Correa. Yep. And those were the only two I remember, but I knew you. Two of the names. I just higher points per game numbers than when Johnny Goudreau won it. By the way. Did George was George McPhee twenty? I, I don't know uh, about that. Fun fact. You know who's not gonna probably win it? Um, uh, 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 Spencer Knight. Keith yes. Petruzzelli. <laughs> I found a guy goaltender drafted by the the Detroit Red Wings. Phenomenal name, Keith Petruzzelli. Petruzzelli. Is it as good as Gianni Fairbrother? 
I'm still mad about that. <laughs> so tell me about Javon. He has a cool name. <laughs> that was that. I think when I was writing on the dock, that was when Eric Angles just announced his signing. I'm like, I got to add this guy's name. I remember thinking, do we talk about this? I'm like, no, I, I don't know if the followers are going to know anything about Gianni Fairbrother. And then it was on the dock. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I guess we'll talk about this. And then it's just got yeah, cool name. He did have a cool name. He does have a yeah. cool name. So, um, I guess we can all give our final Twitters a look. If anyone cares, it's three nothing Islanders over the Sabers. Will this be? Of course, it is. Ralph Kruger's final game. Probably not because the Sabers are weird. But you know, I felt for him in Edmonton because, like, I remember reading throughout, like, in terms of player development, he was pretty good, and then. Nial Yakupov believed that if he stayed as the Oilers coach, he would have been able to refine his game. No if offense, it, but Nail Yakupov as your one supporter is not a great. <laughs> I tried to look for an extreme example to be like, okay. You found it. Yeah, like may, maybe this is like a compliment we could see in a way. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Can't let you do that. Team Europe. Yeah. Silver medal. Yeah. Okay. That's about it. <laughs> good? I think so. We are. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of the show, check out the YouTube portion because towards the end of the episode, you'll get to see me fall out my chair or beanbags. Um, then you'll also you know, get to see our beautiful faces and you can check out more of our work, Daniel's stuff for the Hockey Ride and the Eye Opener, my YouTube channel, Alex's blog. And beside that, you can look at your phone and then realize that Daniel just said something in the group chat. <laughs> God damn it. Get the F out of here. Oh, I was just looking at that tweet as you sent it, funny enough. Yeah. Beside that, I mean, thank you to Voice Ed as always for being a fantastic platform for the show. Check us out on the podcast app for iTunes. No, iTunes, iOS. You can give us five stars. There's still that one person who gave us two stars. I think somebody on the Sabres just scored their short. Is it Jeff Skinner? We'll see you in a second. Next time, it was Jeff Skinner. Wow! He scored. Wow! This is this is breaking news. Breaking, breaking news. news. Jeff Skinner scored. Jeff Skinner. That was nice, eh? That going on his backhand. That was a pretty good goal. Jeff I think that the resurgence begins. Make that five combined goals on the year. Let's go. Check out wherever you listen to the podcast, like Spotify. A lot of people do that. Even though if you listen to weird music like I do, that's in Japanese, Spotify is just full of people trying to do covers of it in English, and it sounds horrible, which is why I use the YouTube music app. Anyway, that's it. We will see you all Wednesday. Thanks, guys.